Hello! You are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This summer, we are back in the Book of Psalms. John Calvin rather famously wrote that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms sing high joys for salvation and the beauty of this world, and yet meet us in the low places as we cry out for justice and weep over the sorrowful state of this world. All of life, absolutely all of it, is invited to be laid before our Lord in the Psalms, these prayers and songs to God. So we'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and God bless. Lord in heaven, thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you for this beautiful passage in Psalm 65, and also from Isaiah and Ephesians, the God who's rich in mercy. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you made that much wine for a party that had already been going on for a long time. God, I pray that we would be in awe of your bounty and your grace this morning and that we would drink deep of the well of the good news of Jesus. Make our hearts receptive, please. And fill us with your grace. Amen. Okay, um, one of... The great movies of my childhood is the movie Hook, which we as a family watched most of last night. Um, and I, uh, can I just get an amen from some of you that agree that that's a great movie? I feel like there's a few of you that nodded, but I, I, I saw about uh, some skeptical faces out there. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, so there's a scene in that movie that demonstrates part of the truth of Psalm 65, okay? We're going to get to that scene, but we're not going to start there. First, I want to tell you a different scene from that movie, okay? Um, probably most of you know the movie Hook is a movie about Peter Pan. And the, the strange thing, though, with Peter Pan is that he's done the one thing that he was never to do, which is he grew up. And um, now he has children of his own, and he's an absolute workaholic, largely an absent father because his work is so demanding of him and he's given his life to that. And somehow, Captain Hook finds his way from Neverland into our world. And he takes Peter Pan's children, Jack and Maggie, back to Neverland, hostage. Well, Peter, with the aid of Tinkerbell, gets back to Neverland. And uh, there, uh, you know, after a little bit of getting dressed up as a pirate, he makes his way to Captain Hook's ship. And there's a scene where he's actually trying to get up to his children, right? They're in this sort of uh, this rope bundle that's high above all these pirates. And he's climbed up the mast and, and, and the, gotten out on the rigging. And he's trying to reach for him. And Captain Hook says this, Smee, I don't understand. Why doesn't he fly? It's not Peter Pan. 
And Smee says this. It's Peter Pan, all right, Captain. He's just been away from Neverland so long, his mind's been junctified. Junctified. You kind of know what he's saying. He says he's forgotten everything. He's been away so long. He's forgotten who he is. Um, and I think there's something in that, that that is true of what's happened to us. You were made for Eden, right? A place with the Lord where his rich abundance seems to overflow and this thing springs forth fruit and seed that brings forth fruit and seed and it just keeps going. And his grace was so great. Here's something that happens to us. We sort of grow up and we live in this world where sin and scarcity are the rulers of the day. Uh, we live in a world where we've been sinned against and a lot. And we've been the sinners and we've done it a lot. We live in a world where, um, you know, we're doing everything we can to get these grants because you know what? There's only so many that are given out. And we really, really need that job because there's only so many openings for that job. You know, you want to get tenured because not everybody does. And what happens if you don't? Um, we live in this world long enough. We have lived in this world lo long enough that what marks us is actually not sort of the overabundance of God in Eden long ago sort of a childlike wonder of, wow, God makes and he creates and he keeps making and he keeps forgiving and doing all these things, that we kind of go, no, actually, instead what marks us is what somebody else did to us. What we did to someone else. Or just simply the scarcity of living in this world. Uh, you could say this, we wonder if we'll ever fly again. Uh, to have the freedom to really live into the world like we're made to. <clears throat> um, we who gathered, who've gathered here, um, for some of us, we just wonder, like, what are we doing right here in the worship space, right? I mean, if God knew my history, if he knew my thinking, if these people had a sense of what I've done and what I've said to others, would I be welcomed here? And we, should, we wonder if we should come to a place like this because we've treated our spouse uh, based on the way that they've sinned against us, right? They've treated us. Uh, we've come here often sort of burdened down by the weight of a week where we just simply don't have enough. Um, we don't have it in our tank, right, to parent well. And it's right at the beginning of the school year when you feel like you should be parenting really well. And it's just a life of scarcity. Some of us, of course, are coming with real significant financial burdens. And it's hard to actually just pay attention and listen because you know that you've got all these bills to pay and only so many hours to work. And how can you even take on some more hours with everything that's going on in your life? Um, so, um, some of us just say, well, we gotta, we gotta just stop coming. We don't fit. Uh, I've done too many bad things, too many things, bad things have been done to me. I've been so scarred and marred that I don't, I don't know if I can come. Um, 
And a few things happen when we've been sort of burdened down with the weight of sin and a life of scarcity. And um, this is actually a word that I got from uh, Carrie in our intro to Second City. We, we sort of atrophy, our spiritual muscles atrophy. They weaken. Um, we get out of the good habits of worship and we start worshiping other things. The habits of grace move into the habits of consumption and greed and taking and gossip and grudge holding. Not forgiving. Not living in the abundance of God. Um, and as we start to atrophy, we start to define ourselves sadly actually by our sin. And we define our existence by this world where we just, we just need to take whatever we can in the moment because it's probably going to be gone. Life of greed and idolatry. And so we come back here and I wonder if, like probably, you know, this morning Dave is leading us in the call to worship and he, you know, we hear this call and we sing this song and he, then he invites us to confess our sins and you're like, man, we just do this every week. Like, what are we doing? I mean, we're just kind of, sorry, God, you know? Um, but you actually need to hear every single week phrases like this. My grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient. Um, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Um, he saved us not because of our works. Why? But because of his mercy. And his mercy is new every morning. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's, he's just and will forgive us our sins, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or Isaiah again, though your sins were as scarlet, there's white as snow. There's not one aspect of that sin that defines you. And you need to hear that again and again and again. And I need to hear that again and again. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. So, okay, there's a scene, right, further down in, in Hook. I'm not going to give away the whole movie. You can watch it on Netflix if you want. Um, where finally Peter's actually back with the lost boys and they live, you know, up in this cool tree where it has all these like wild slides and stuff like that. And, but he's kind of, there's this combative thing where of course he and the new leader Rufio are kind of going at it. And there's this line that finally Rufio draws in the, in, the, in the dirt. And all the lost boys are standing with Rufio except for this little boy that comes over. And Peter is on his knees and he's sitting there in the dirt having just been sort of like riled up and beat up in a, in a way. And this little boy um, I wish I could take one of your faces. But he starts to, well, he takes P Peter's glasses off and he looks back through them, which is always funny if you've actually done that with glasses, it distorts what's in front of you. But anyway, he takes them off and he looks at Peter with his glasses and he puts them down and he starts to like massage his face and he just like some of this stuff and some of this. And, he's, and, it, and it's like, he really actually has to work Peter a little bit because he's been gone away from Neverland for so long right, that he's forgotten how to fly, but people don't even recognize him. And as he's working him, he says, oh, there you are. You're there, somehow deep behind, behind this facade, right? You're there. And he's able to recognize him. 
And I want to suggest to you that one of the things that's happening in Psalm 65, that as God's people are singing of this bounty of God, what they're actually being called back to is engaging with God as they were intended to. In some ways, you could say back to the garden, back to a place where grace just overflows, where the goodness of God is way more than enough, and it shapes us back into who we are intended to be. Oh, there you are. Um, Psalm 65 is a harvest psalm. And like I said, many consider actually it to be maybe one of the greatest harvest songs ever, poems ever. Um, And Psalm 65, it it has a context. Now, it's not mentioned for a section of the Bible, so we have to kind of deduce this. Most commentators think that Psalm 65 was written in sort of the dual context of the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths. They happen, you know, right next to each other. And so people think that this psalm would have been a psalm that you would have sung as you made your way back to Jerusalem in celebration of the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booths. And to give you a context, those would have happened near the end of September, early October. Of course, the calendar changes occasionally, like it does for us for Easter and and other holidays. Um, But it would have been the, the bringing together of these two things. And here's what I want you to see. There's three stanzas. You probably saw them. There's three stanzas um, in this psalm. And everybody divides them up, sort of outlines this psalm in the same way based on these three stanzas. And I want you to see that there's a combination and actually there's a movement that takes place. And it moves from God's bounty of grace. Okay, that's going to be our first point, God's bounty of, bounty of grace towards us. Um, his bounty in redemption for us and his bounty in the preservation of us. Okay? So grace, redemption, and preservation. And I think you're going to see this pretty clearly. I hope you'll see this pretty clearly. So, turn with me in your bulletin to Psalm 65. And it begins like this. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. Which is saying, hey, we've come to worship you, and we've made this pilgrimage to Zion, which was another name for Jerusalem. Um, the Day of Atonement was one of the three main days where pilgrimages were to happen back to the temple. They were actually to come to Jerusalem and to worship the Lord there. So they're saying, we've come. We've come. Verse 2. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. This is something I just feel like I need to say in the world that we live in now. Israelite worship was never intended just for the sake of ethnic Israel. Never was. In fact, the very first person, right, when Israel comes in to the promised land that is converted is Rahab. She's not ethnically Israelite, ethnically Jewish, but she is a full Israelite. They're saying the worship of God is for all people everywhere. This is not nationalistic worship, okay? This is all flesh worship. This is the God who makes all things. Now keep going on. Okay, verse three. When iniquities prevail against me, which is to say, when I'm overcome with sin, when I fall into temptation, or when simply my sin is just seems so great. Um, you atone for my transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Okay, here's what's going on. Throughout the whole Bible, There's a very clear message, and it is this. Sin separates you from God. 
Sin separates you from God. Now, if you're kind of used to Christian lingo, you're like, man, I've heard that so much. Or maybe you're just like, that's weird. I don't really know if I believe that. Uh, let me tell you, suggest this. This is true of our entire lives with just our relationships across the board. You sin against your good friend, and that there is a rupture, there's a break in that friendship, and there's a distance that takes place. And until that sin is actually like talked about and confessed and forgiven, you are not going to have the same relationship. That is just life. Like that's how the world works. Okay. Um, so what we are made for, though, is closeness with God and closeness with one another. Again, think back to Eden. God actually wants to and longs to meet with us and walk with us in the cool of the day, to be near to us. God actually wants to be near to us, and he made us that way. And he made us to be near with one another, to not have the distance that is caused by sin, okay? Um, and that's actually what verse 4 is saying. I hope you heard this. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. Like He's saying, what you're made for is proximity and closeness to me. But here's the thing that we also learn in the Bible. And that just as sin separates, atonement has to happen. Something actually has to be done with the sin. I mean, if you're going to get close, the sin actually has to be taken away. If the sin is what separates you, atonement has to happen. Sin has to be taken away. Which is actually why, again, if you think back to the garden, there's a flaming sword guarding the way. What does a flaming sword do? At the very least, it burns up and it slices, right? You're not going to live. Something's going to have to die to get back. Okay? Something needs to die. And, um, okay, again, if you're just thinking like, man, this just sounds like Christianese, like Christians are weird. They're always talking about death and blood and stuff like that. This is actually true of your life. If you actually want to repair the relationship that was broken between you and your friend when one sinned against the other, somebody's going to have to say, you know what? I need to actually kill my pride here and confess. I actually have to be humbled and to go down into the ground and be buried like a seed and die, that something new and beautiful can come up. This is just the way the world works. Okay, so um, you can't get close unless you die. And the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, this day that began sort of this, this uh, week-long celebration in uh, ancient Israel, the Day of Atonement was when Israel would gather to the house of the Lord, the temple in Jerusalem, and they would confess their sins, and there'd be two goats. Okay, there'd be two goats brought forward. And the high priest, which was initially Aaron, so if you read about this in, in uh, Leviticus chapter 16, what you're reading about is specifically Aaron, but it was for the high priest as the representative of God's people, would, uh, would take one of the, the goats, and he'd place his hands upon this goat. And the idea was that the sins of the people were confessed, and they were resting on this goat and this goat would be released outside of the camp, outside of the city of Jerusalem, free to go and actually to say, you know what, your sins are being taken out. But another one would actually be, his hands would again be upon this, and this goat would die. And here's the really important thing that's taking place, right? Um, the Lord is saying, I want you to gather together. I want you to come close to me to show you how much my grace is bounteous towards you. 
I want you close, and I'm going to make a way for your sin to not mark you one bit. Your sin's going to be taken away. The penalty for sin, death, is going to happen on something else, and you are going to come near to me because I want you close. I want you close. God longs to bring you near. His grace overflows more and more. What I want you to hear is this. God's grace has always been overflowing. It always has been. Again, think back in Eden long ago. Adam and Eve do the one thing that he told them not to do. And they've got all this abundance of provision. And they're like, ah, they don't want that one. And what does God do? Where are you? I want you close. Those fig leaves aren't going to do. Let me kill something else because I actually want you close. God's grace overflows again and again. But if you hear the story of, of the Day of Atonement and you have ears to hear, I hope you hear also about Jesus. I mean, Jesus is literally the one that goes outside of the walls of the city, right? And what does he do? He bears the sin of the world upon himself. And in his death, he, tells, he says, it is finished. I've accomplished it once and for all. All this coming back and, and killing this animal again and again and again. No, your sin is gone. Gone. And that's the bounty of God, right? For God so loves the world that he gives of his son for you. Just overwhelming grace, overwhelming gift for you. God's bounty of grace is for us. Okay. Um, the next part, the next stanza, when I'm, I'm titling it this, God's bounty of redemption for us. Let me read it again. Um, by awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. Um, some people translate that deliverance, but it is the word most often translated righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell, dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You made the going out of the morning and of the evening to shout for joy. Okay, so the second stanza here um, harkens back to Israel's redemption out of slavery in Egypt. So here's what's going on. Uh, after the Day of Atonement, the people of God uh, would celebrate what was called the Feast of Booths. Um, or it was also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. But we don't use the word booths or tabernacles too much unless you're at like the Harrisburg Flea and it's a booth. You know, instead what we say is tents. You know, we camp out in tents, okay? Um, the Hebrew word is sukkot. Um, and so the actually Jews today still use that word. Um, and this is a whole week long celebration uh, where God's people would live in tents, hang out together and party for a week. And uh, what they were doing though, was they were remembering specifically how God brought them out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness, those 40 years of wandering. And they'd remember how they lived in tents for those 40 years, and, and specifically really what God did for them, okay? 
So what happened when God brought them out from Egypt? One of the things, you know, there's signs that are mentioned here. Um, so those who dwell on the ends of the earth are in awe of your, at your signs. One thing God did was he showed through signs that he's the one who makes all things, right? The, the, the Nile is turned into blood. The frogs and the locusts and all that. God is over it all. But of course, the most significant thing, and that has echoes here too, uh, verse 7, who stills the roaring of the sea, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the people. God is the one who speaks and the Red Sea is parted. What, you're, what I want you to say here is that these are echoes of what God has done in redemption in this psalm. And the context is these people gathering together to say God has been faithful in his redemption of us. He did it in a way that no one else could ever do because he's the one who creates. And only the creator God can really redeem us like we need to be redeemed. And here's what happens, of course, too, is that they're gathering together for this weekly thing and the Lord says, hey, I want you to come together and I want you to celebrate this feast of booze and you have to do it because I want you to remember what I've done for you because you're prone to forget. You're prone to wander, as we sang. When they gathered together each week or each year for the week-long camp out, they were saying, no, we're tempted towards all of these idols, all of sort of the, the flashiness of Egypt and to think, man, if I could just go back to Egypt and get one of their hamburgers, they'd be better. He says, no, God has redeemed you. He's the true God who creates and he redeems. He parted the Red Sea, he provides for you in the wilderness. So what we're seeing is this sort of building up of God's bounty and God's bounty at each stage is for God's people. His grace alone that abounds and abounds and abounds is for the sake of gathering his people to him. His redemption is for the sake of gathering us to him, giving us his grace, retelling the stories of God's redemption. The third, the third uh, paragraph, I, I want to say it's for uh, God's bounty of preservation, meaning it's just the su sustaining of life. But I also think preservation is not quite, quite the right word. It's his overflowing goodness in just the reality of life for us. Listen again. Okay. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God's full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. If you think about um, putting a bunch of tents together, right, and getting all these people together for this week, to remember the wilderness wanderings, maybe you would think these better be pretty sparse tents. They're in the wilderness after all. It's desert and they ate like manna. Uh, you know, maybe we should just drink water. That's part of what the Lord provided for the people of God out of the rock itself. Maybe this is a time to be austere to just 
eat the bare minimum. After all, we're remembering how the Lord brought us out and he was with us in the wilderness. If you were to enter into one of these tent communities, there should be a sign through the gate that says, no stinginess allowed. No stinginess in these tents. We're not camping with only freeze-dried food, as good as some of that can be. This happened at the end of the harvest season. That's, that's when they were to gather together in this kind of way. It was the end of harvest. And pumpkins were everywhere. I mean, pump, pumpkin spice lattes for everyone. Even you who don't like them. I know that's such a dividing subject. Um, cornucopias spilling forth. You know what I mean? Beaujolais Nouveau just like overflowing from the glass while you drink it. It just keeps coming. And for de- seven days straight, it's almost like Jesus was there turning the water into wine and saying, keep going, keep partying, keep delighting in me for you. In our world, in this context of this church, maybe it would be like, hey, we're going to have Monday, Thursday, and then we're going to have our Thanksgiving meal. And then, you know, let's just have Monday, Thursday, and Thanksgiving meal, Monday, Thursday, Thanksgiving meal, Monday. Like, just a straight week of it. We'd all be like, oh my gosh, I need to go to the gym. (laughs) Listen to this, okay? This is Leviticus chapter 23, verses 40 and 41. The tents were not allowed to be lightly decorated, okay? And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willow of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days. <laughs> you already said that in the last verse. In the year. Friends, we come together a week in and week out, and we must. You need this habit of coming together, just like I do, okay? And we come together to do certain things, right? We come together to hear God again say, hey, I want to be with you. Like, please come and be with me. This is good for you. Worship me. And we confess our sins. And what we hear again and again is your sin doesn't define you. It doesn't. God's grace is more than enough for you. It is. Now, you know, we praise him. Because we say, you're the only true God. All the gods of the nations are just idols. They're worthless. But you're the one who speaks and mountains come into being. And fruit trees bear fruit. You're the one who loves us and redeems us. And you're the one that instructs us from your word. And you teach us and you remind us of how you have worked redemption in the world. And we dine at his table. And I'll admit, sometimes the dining seems meager. It's a little piece of bread, except for when Bruce grabs it. He gets a big piece. And it's a little tiny cup. Um, but even this little bread and this little wine, they remind us of the bounty of God. And they sustain us until he comes again when we will feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of this is declaring to us the bounty of God 
for us. I heard uh, a little clip this week uh, from Richard Rohr. Somebody, some, some of you know him. I tend to think he's got lots of bones, but lots of good meat if you can chew it out and spit out the bones. And he said, um, he said this, um, sometimes we think of God as the billionaire in the sky, and we mostly think, like, uh, you don't even know how to manage your money of God, <laughs> you know? Like, you're just kind of stingy and you just keep it in some, like, low-interest savings account. Like, at least put it in a money market account. Something, God. Do something with the overflow of what you have because it seems like you're just holding it close. God's people in the Old Testament needed to rehearse this story. And then we needed to rehearse it with the intensity of goats that were let off into the wilderness and goats that were slaughtered because that's what sin demands. And they needed to rehearse it for seven days, these stories of God's redemption, but also of his unbelievable grace and kindness to us. We need to do that too. I mean, how much more do we know the gift of God for the people of God? The Lord Jesus himself, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the joy. He overflows with grace and goodness for us. Let me end, um, well, let me end sort of with this. Okay, let's go back to Hook. Because I know at least some of you are fans of Hook. And um, this is a really great scene. There's a turning point in the story where Peter Pan actually goes, Peter Benning, Peter Pan, because he's like, that's not my name. He finally goes, yes, this is, this is who I am. And it starts to change. The whole, the whole movie changes actually at this like, moment, right? And what, it, this is, it's this amazing scene. It's so, wild, it's so like magical and fun. But there's a long, long table and all the lost boys are gathered around it. He's kind of in the middle sitting right across from Rufio, which you know, begins as his nemesis. And some of the lost boys are bringing out these platters. Think of the platters of meat that we bring out or, or roasted potatoes on Monday, Thursday or something like that or the, you know, the different stuff that we bring for potlucks. And they're bringing out these huge platters and they're like steaming and they're all empty. You know, they're like, the lost boy brings it out and he puts it and he takes the lid and he goes, Whoo. and Peter's just like, there's nothing there. And then one of them like grabs it would have clearly been like a big leg of a turkey and just, and that's all he's seeing. It's just what you're seeing me do, right? Another guy grabs this thing that looks like it must have been a hamburger, probably from Burger Yum, and it was like the double, right? And he's like, and Peter's looking at him like, this is crazy. There's nothing here. Actually, before I go on, I want you to sit with that. That is a lot of times what we do. We define ourselves with our sin and scarcity, and we say there's, all this is just nothing. The world is so, such a mess. Church is a joke. And as long as we live in that reality of just seeing there's nothing there, there's no bounty of God for us, and we just sit there and go, why are we even here? What's happening? This is all pointless. But something changed as these people are actually entering into this meal that's there for them and not for him, something in him changes. And he takes a spoon 
this is not the nicest thing to, to do for like the, the turning point, but it'll make my point, I think. He takes the spoon and he goes, and right into Rufio's face, red and green and yellow whipped cream. And all of a sudden you see just how amazingly abundant this table is. I mean, roasted meats and pies. and ev- Of course, if you've seen it, you know that it ends up into a food fight, as it probably should. But my point is that there, there's something that, t- that, that changed. And out of that change, he got to see the abundance of what was before him. And it totally changed him. And I'm telling you, this is what will change you. If you can taste and see that the Lord is good and his abundance is for you, his grace is for you, he's not stingy with you. He will always give you everything you need for faith and life. If God would not spare his only son, how much more will he not give you all things? We see that again and again in Holy Scripture. And the invitation is come. Give your life to Jesus. Taste and see that he's more than enough, that his grace is always sufficient, that his work on the cross is perfect, that he's brought near those who were once far off and aliens and strangers. He's made them heirs and children. Come and taste of the bounty of God. That's the invitation of Psalm 65, and frankly, it's the invitation of the whole of, of the scriptures. The Lord's table is before you. His work is for you. Come to him. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Psalm 65. Even, Lord, thank you for a season that we're soon to enter into that reminds us of the beauty of your world in a way where the harvest seems plentiful and Uh, We remind one another of uh, the thanksgiving that is due to you because you have lavished on us all that we need. God, I pray that we as a church would be those who are eager to confess our sins, not to hide them, but to confess them because your grace always abounds. That sin doesn't define us, but you do. God, I pray that we would taste and see that you're good from the, the table of Uh, the communion table, Lord, that you've given us to remind us that you even gave your, your entire self for us. God, would we be a people that are marked by this reality that God's bounty is for us? Please, Lord. And then, as Peter Pan does in the next scene, Lord, would we fly? Would we live as we're meant to live? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.